Good to see you here. My name's Matt. If I haven't met you before, I'd like to add my welcome to Brian's. It's great that you could be here this morning. I've been out of the pulpit for about a month and uh, it feels good to be back. So I just want to thank the brothers who have been here over the last month preaching. And man, wasn't Brad's sermon good last week? Wow. I feel nervous following him this week. But um, we're going to be rounding out our series in Spurgeon style this week. It's a bit of a cheeky little sermon series title based on the 18th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who famously used to preach on just one verse of the Bible at a time. And um, we're going to be finishing that up this morning. What the, the idea behind it is you take one verse and just suck all of the marrow and goodness and juice out of that as you can. And I'm going to attempt to do that this morning. And as all of the preachers have demonstrated, it's really hard for us to just focus on one verse of the Bible. So I'm going to pray for us as we get into God's Word. So please join me as we come before Him. God, we thank You. Thank You that I stand before You this morning loved. That Your people this morning are loved. That You are our Father. Would You remind us of that this morning as we come to You in Your Word Father, we pray that you might give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. We ask that your spirit might transform our hearts. We pray that you would make us more like Jesus. And we ask, Father, that we would be able to do exactly what Paul does. To live our lives completely for you. Even to the point of saying that death is gain. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said... Amen. Amen. This verse I'm going to preach on this morning is uh, it's kind of like my life verse. It's the first real genuine memory verse that I ever had. Uh, genuine because most of the other verses that you memorized in youth group, if you grew up going to church, were, were verses you memorized just because the, the leaders gave you lollies. And so this one was a verse that really captured my heart and it was the first verse I really imprinted on my heart and memorized. And it's been a helpful exercise for me this week to think about why this verse has been significant for me, why this verse has been important. And I think the thing that captured me about this verse was its all or nothing nature. And uh, for me, that really spoke to my conversion experience. As I consider what it meant to follow Jesus, it was an all or nothing decision at that point. And I came all in at the age of 17. But the other thing that really was profound for me about this scripture is that in year 10, I had a, a good friend of mine within my friendship group at school who tragically passed away in a car accident. And I remember going to his funeral and I remember thinking to myself, death feels horribly like loss right now. It felt like loss to his family. It felt like loss to our friends. It felt like loss for all of the potential that he, have, he could have had in life. And so as I picked up this verse when Jesus saved me and I read it, this verse had profound impact for me. And I've never preached on it because I've been too nervous to kind of mess it up for me. You know that thing that you feel is really precious to you and then you try and talk about it and uh, you, you sort of mess it up and it's not as good as what it used to be. I'm really nervous about doing that, but I want to preach on it anyway. I'm probably not going to do it justice but here goes. So if you've got a Bible, if you want to open it up on your phone or wherever, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians 1 verse 21. It's a long reading. But it says this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now you might think, well, how are you going to preach a whole sermon on that? There's like eight words in that sentence. But honestly, I feel like I could preach on that all day. So here goes. For to me, for to me. And when Paul says that, he's not expressing at this point um, somewhat of his opinion on life. So like, this is my take on life. For to me, is living for Jesus, but for you, maybe it's living for something else. This is, an exp- is not an expression of opinion for Paul. This is a matter of deep conviction for him. He is expressing here an emphatic way that he really, truly believes what he is about to say. For to me, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is his driving passion in life. Back in chapter 1, verse 20, he says this, It is my eager expectation, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul is saying here is that his, his hopeful passion for his life, for his future, would be that he would glorify Jesus. That's what he's expecting. That's what he's hoping for, that his life would be about making much of Jesus. And he wants to do that in life and in death. And so it's out of that, that deep, profound understanding and conviction that he says this crazy backward sentence, to live is Christ. And so when he says, for to me, he's saying, I really believe this. I'm passionate about this. I feel this. This is not just opinion. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. You know, that has to be probably, in my mind, one of the most countercultural things you could ever say. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That, that was edgy in the first century. That's still edgy today. You know, if, if anyone else replaced Jesus in that sentence, like if I said of Tash, for, for me, Tash is my wife, to live is Tash, to die is gain. Right? That would be some form of morbid codependency, would it not? But here, when Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain, it's one of the most profound mysteries of the gospel. I wonder what you would say if you had to fill in a couple of blanks there. To live is, to die is, how would you fill those blanks in? You know, I think most people in Sydney might say, well, for me... To live is, is about me. It's about self. It's about my goals, my achievements, my dreams, my family. It's about me. And to die would to be to forfeit all of those things and lose all of those things. So to die would be to loss. For to me, to live is self and to die is loss. I think that's how most people might fill in the blanks. Or maybe if you're um, a bit more philosophical, you might say something like, well, to me, to live just is... And to die just is. But my guess is, if we're really honest, most people would say, to to me, to live is me, and to die is loss. And so how profound 
Paul's statement, to die is gain. No matter where you are at, no matter how you would fill in that blank, that statement drives you to ask a deep question. What would cause someone to say that? How can someone possibly say to die is gain? Yeah, I think um, the late Steve Jobs, founder of the Apple Global Empire, I had a profound statement about death when he said this. He said, Remembering you are going to die is one of the best ways to avoid the trap of thinking you've got something to lose. You're already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. See, what he's saying is, you've already lost. You're going to die and you're going to lose it all anyway, so you may as well just go for it. Because death is loss. How backwards of Paul then to say death is gain. And so what does he mean? What does he mean when he says this? To live is Christ, to die is gain. And I want to unpack those things in two sections, the first half and the second half. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does Paul mean when he says to live is Christ? And I think he means three things in that statement. The first is that he's saying that Jesus is the essence of my life. The second is that Jesus is the purpose of my life. And the third is that Jesus is the power on my life. It's an identity statement. It's a purpose statement and it's a power statement. And so I want to unpack those now. Firstly, to live is Christ is an identity statement for Paul. Jesus is the essence of his life. He is in Christ positionally. That's where he stands, in Christ. And his life is so intrinsically bound to the risen Jesus that his life is the same as Christ's life. In fact, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying at the core of my being, of who I am as a person, the core of my life is Jesus. My life is hid with Christ on high. You're only spiritually alive because of who Jesus is and what he has done. So Paul is saying there. In fact, he says in Ephesians 2, that all of us were dead in our trespasses. We're all dead in sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. So this statement, to live is Christ, is a statement of God has taken me from spiritual death and moved me to spiritual life, and I'm alive in Jesus, truly alive, spiritually alive. So it's firstly a statement of identity, to live is Christ. Secondly, it's a statement of purpose. And I think this is the bit that excited me as I read this verse for the first time. To live is Christ, is Paul's goal in life. That he would glorify Jesus, that he would preach Jesus, that he would make much of Jesus, that he would make the name of Jesus famous is his life's purpose. I love that verse at the end of um, Acts chapter 20 where he's farewelling the Ephesian elders and he says to them this in Ephesians 2.20, he said, For I do not consider my life worth anything to me, if only I may run the race, finish my course, and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, 
the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You see what drives Paul, what his purpose and passion is. It's not about his life and his goals and his ambitions and his dreams. It's Jesus. That's his purpose. To live is Christ is to fulfill the purpose, the very purpose for which Jesus gave him life in the first place. In the very next verse in Philippians chapter 1, Paul will talk about what it means to remain, to live in the flesh. He says, if I live, that is, if I get out of jail, because he's written Philippians from jail, if I get out of jail and I live beyond this present moment, then what it means for me is fruitful labor, is gospel ministry. And a bit further on, he says, if I remain in the flesh, then my hope is that I will be with you, the church in Philippi, that I will be with you and strengthen your faith and increase your joy. That's Paul's purpose in life. If he's in jail, he's preaching Jesus. If he's out of jail, he's preaching Jesus and strengthening the church. And so when he says to me to live is Christ, He's saying, that is my purpose in life, to make much of Jesus, to make the name of Jesus famous. That's what Paul did. Poured himself out for preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting churches. So secondly, this is a statement of purpose. It's almost like Paul's personal life mission statement, I reckon. But thirdly, this is also a statement of power. This radical purpose that Paul has of making much of Jesus is only possible through the, through the empowering presence of Jesus, by Jesus leaving and pouring out the Spirit onto his disciples. Jesus empowers. Jesus sustains. Paul says in Colossians 1.28 this, Him we proclaim. Purpose, right? Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So purpose, purpose, but this is what we're doing. Our goal is to preach Jesus, to get people to Jesus. How does he do that? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, this identity that Paul has, this purpose that Paul has is only possible through the empowering presence of the Spirit of God. Jesus makes this possible. Paul is dependent on Him for it. You see, in the end, Paul is not an extraordinary person. Paul is an ordinary person empowered by an extraordinary God. He is dependent on Jesus for this. And so this is a power statement from Paul. It's an identity statement. It's a purpose statement. And it's a power statement. To live is Christ. I bet you didn't think you could unpack all of that just from those three words. And there's probably more upon reflection. But you know, this is true for you. If you worship Jesus, this is true for you. That you have a new identity that you have a new purpose, that you have a new power. This is not something that you earn because you read your Bible heaps or because you led a beach mission or because you're a gospel community leader. This, this is true for you because of what Jesus has done for you to be including you in Him. That's the gospel. Furthermore, this is not just a statement for 
pastors and missionaries and apostles and super-Christians. This, Paul says multiple times, ought to be lived out. He, he says to, I think, three different churches, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. Follow my example as I follow the example. Paul expects that this kind of lifestyle would be normal, a life that is completely sold out for Jesus and his fame. This is normal discipleship. And so my question this morning for you, church, is is Jesus your greatest treasure? Is your life Christ? Is your delight and joy in him to live is Christ? You see, for Paul, all his life is for, by, and because of Jesus. Like Paul's not half committed to Jesus, right? You don't get any kind of sacred, secular divide in Paul's life. It's not like he had his sacred work where he would go and tell people about Jesus and then his secular work where he'd go and make tents. All of life for Paul is for Jesus. To live is Christ is a 24-7 motto. It's all of life. All of your work, your rest, your play, your leisure, your eating, your sleeping, all of it. For Jesus. See, in the end, being a disciple is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Wednesday night thing in your in your gospel community. It's not just a Saturday morning over coffee thing in your gospel triplet. To say to live is Christ is to say that all of what I am, who I am, and what I do is bound up with Jesus. So that's the first half. To live is Christ. The second half is even more profound. And he says, to die is gain. Really? Did I read that right? To die is gain. Are you serious? I don't know about you. Does that sound backwards? It sounds backwards to me. To die is gain. Now, don't mishear Paul. Like He's not suicidal when he writes this. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, he's in chains. But he's in prison rejoicing that he has an opportunity to make much of Jesus. And that's a sermon for another day. But these are not the, the glum musings of a man behind bars, depressed about his life. So what does he mean when he says to die is gain? What does that mean? Well, it means this. It means gain. It means advantage. It means profit. It's a marketplace word. When most people would put death, if they've got their pros and cons list, most people would put death in the cons. Paul puts it in the pros list. In fact, in verse 23, Paul will go on to say that he desires to depart, which is code for die. He desires to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. You see, the choice in Paul's life is a choice between life and death, and it's win-win. If he lives, win. It's for Jesus. If he dies, win. He gets to go to be with Jesus, which is a thousand times better in his mind. It's a win-win. Now, my question is, how can someone say that? Like how, can, how could those words possibly leave someone's mouth? To die is gain. You know, the only way that someone can say that 
is if they have found something more valuable, more valuable, far more valuable than all of the stuff in life that we lose when we die. The only way someone can possibly say that is if they have found something that endures past death itself. And this is what we've gained, friends. This is what Paul has gained. Philippians 3 verse 7 says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Jesus is the gain that Paul has received that is so valuable that when you compare it to all of the things we lose when we die, he can say that's, that's loss compared to how good it is to know Jesus. You notice here the gain for Paul, the gain for us in Christ is not that we gain all of Christ's blessings like being included in family, like being forgiven, like assurance. That's not the gain for Paul. The gain is Christ himself. It is knowing Jesus intimately, personally. There is no greater gain than knowing Jesus. And in death, there is no greater joy. Joy at its fullest expression is meeting Jesus face to face. What does Psalm 16 say? God, in your presence... In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are created to worship God. And our fullest potential and our deepest satisfaction is only found in knowing Him, in knowing Jesus. How good is it? How good is it to know Jesus? Anyone apart from Brian, how good is it to know Jesus? It's good, right? I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you know Christ this morning. I wonder if you experience his love and his goodness and his grace. I wonder if you know him. Not just know his blessings. Not just know what it feels like to be loved in a community but to actually experience the love of Christ, to wonder if you know Him. Honestly, if if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then I can't help but think that a statement like to die is gain would just grab your attention a little bit, right? Because for someone to say that means either one of two things. It either means that they're crazy, like off the planet crazy, or it means if they say it genuinely, that there is something that has deeply, profoundly moved in their heart to to be able to say something like that. Because death has a way of clarifying things for us. Death strips away pleasantries. It clarifies thinking. People often on their deathbed confess truths and things that they've held on to for centuries, family secrets, lies. What a person really thinks is often drawn out on their deathbed. In fact, if you're familiar with uh, Chopper, Mark, Brandon, Chopper, Reed, 
the infamous um, Australian Robin Hood, who, at least in his own mind, went around taking out criminals and outlaws and uh, boasted of killing 19 people and pulling off people's fingernails and toes with pliers. In his very last stand-up comedy gig, a couple of weeks before he died a few years ago in Melbourne, confessed that a lot of it was kind of stretching the truth. In fact, it was probably more about four people than 19, and he didn't really pull people's toenails and fingernails off. It was just that people loved the stories, so he kept serving them up. See, death has a way of clarifying things, of drawing the truth that's really in people's hearts out. And I wonder if you've ever met someone who, with the reality of imminent death, is able to say, to die is gain. Because that's where Paul's at. And it's hard to pretend in that moment if it's not true. And yet death here is not merely gain for Paul simply because he just gets to meet Jesus. There's more to it than that. Death is gain for Paul because it means that his death, the very process of dying, will serve to glorify Jesus. And so there's double gain for Paul in this. Paul's eager hope and expectation is that he would what? Glorify Jesus with all his life. Oh, but and his death as well. Paul's hope, his purpose in life is to make much of Jesus and his purpose in death is to make much of Jesus. And the very point of Paul's death of whatever happened when They killed him and history tells us the Romans beheaded him. Can't help but think that these words were ringing in Paul's head as they killed him. To die is gain. To die is gain. To die is gain. In this very moment there is gain because this makes Jesus look glorious. That my life is so satisfied in him. You can try and take it away from me. And it still does not uproot the source of my joy because it's found in Jesus who is eternal. And you know, it's not just Paul. It's countless Christians over the centuries who've been able to say the same thing. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You know, one such example for me that was um, visible and real in, in, in my face was... Uh, the story of um, Ethan and Isaac's dad, Shane Viglioni, who was a, um, a, a, an elder at the church that we were at before we planted Anchor Church. And I remember the, the, the Sunday morning that Shane Viglioni stood before our church family and announced to us the news that he had been diagnosed with bowel cancer and was most likely going to die. And Shane had it all. He had a beautiful wife. Like Isaac's mum still looks like she's 18, all right? It's it's ridiculous (laughs) if you've ever met her. So Shane has a beautiful wife. He's got six beautiful children, ranging from, you know, 16 all the way down to six. None of them have finished school. He hasn't walked any of his daughters down the aisle. He's got a thriving, successful business. And he's got a lot to lose. And he stands before our church and the words that he said, I will never forget. 
He said, you know, a lot of people have said to me, Shane, why you? You're such a good person. How could this happen to you? Your family's so wonderful. How could this happen to you? And he says, you know what? Why not me? Why not me if Jesus counts me worthy of this? You serious? How, how can someone say that? Family, kids, business. What does he mean when he says, if Christ counts me worthy of this? I think what he means is, he's saying that if Christ counts me worthy to glorify himself in this moment, then death is gain. That God would use Shane to glorify him as much in his death as he did in his life. And friends, the story of Shane's life was that friends and co-workers and family members fell on their knees to worship Jesus because they saw in this man an example an example of someone who had a foundation of joy and life that was outside of this world and they wanted it they wanted what he had and you know that wasn't just a message that was set on a stage it was lived out in his life for me Shane embodied that verse like no one else I've ever met and I want to suggest you can't fake that kind of stuff. You can't fake that in your last hours. Here is a man who could quite easily have said after Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But you think, well, what about everything that was left behind? Isn't, isn't death a loss? Surely it's loss. And yes, when you die, you, you lose your possessions, your home, everything that you have worked for. You lose it. Yes, it's loss. But there is the gain of the kingdom. You stand to inherit it all. But we lose our family and our friends. Yes, it's loss. But in the age to come, you gain a heavenly family, a true spiritual family, and then a reunion in time for those who've been left behind in Christ. But you lose your life. Yes, it's loss. You lose this, at best, 80 years, this finite life. You lose that and you gain eternal life. You gain Christ. You gain paradise forever. Yes, it's loss. But what Paul is saying is that what you gain is so good that all of this seems like loss in comparison. That's, a, that's the only way someone can say to die is gain. But let me just offer a quick qualification before I wrap up here. You know, I think Christians are often really good at holding so firmly to a certain truth that they end up denying another truth that's true in Scripture and I think that could be true in this case. And, and let me explain why. To die is gain. That is true. But what it doesn't mean, 
Or what, I mean, you still rock up to the funeral wearing black. You still mourn. You still grieve. This, this verse does not mean that we pretend to be chipper and okay when we go to a funeral. No, we still grieve. There's still loss. It's just that we grieve differently in Christ. We grieve with hope. We grieve in light of the resurrection of Jesus. We grieve in light of his return. We grieve, yes, but we grieve differently because we know that in the end, death is gain. And so we don't turn this verse into some chipper little pretense at a funeral and we're real about this because death is still lost, it still hurts, it still breaks us. But death is gain in every sense of the word. Death is gain. I promise you, for those of you who are in Christ, the best is yet to come. It truly is. The best is yet to come for those of you who are in Christ. You know, if ever there was a loss being a gain, if ever there was that scenario taking place, it is seen at the cross of Christ. Or in that very moment where Jesus would die and breathe out his last breath, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. At that very moment where Jesus lost his life, there is gain. There is gain. There is gain because Jesus gains glory for his Father. There is gain because Jesus calls all of those who are his to himself. There is gain because he defeats his enemies. There is gain. In that moment of loss where the Son of God dies and his blood is shed, there is gain. And there is gain for every single one of you who worships Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Even in that moment of loss, there is joy that Jesus look, looks forward to. There is glory to follow. And that, friends, that is our narrative if we're in Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. If you're here this morning and, and you can't confidently say that, then what I want you to see is the hope that Jesus offers you. You win now because you get life now and you win later because you get life then. That is the hope that Jesus offers you. And he turns what is your most significant obstacle to your joy, your satisfaction, your purpose in life. He turns that death into gain. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, Today is a good day to know Jesus. And we would love to introduce him to you. At the back at the end, there will be people who would love to pray for you if you would like to do that. Because in the end, this, what we do here, church, what we do during the week, this, is, this isn't a hobby. Right? This isn't, I mean, it's a lame hobby if it's a hobby, right? This isn't a hobby. This is not a psychological crutch. This is not a social group. This is life-transforming and death-transforming stuff that we are in Christ, that death is gain. And so I invite every single one of you here today
every single one of you, to stop living for yourself and find your freedom in living for Jesus. Because in Him, there truly is gain in every sense. I want to finish by telling you a story of a young missionary man by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young guy who felt called to go to talk to, to people from unreached people groups and tribes about Jesus. He felt very strongly called to the mission field. And he felt eventually called to this tribal group in Ecuador that was considered very violent and very dangerous. And so he, along with three other missionaries and a pilot, made attempts to make contact with this tribal group. And they would fly an aeroplane over it with a loudspeaker trying to communicate to them. And they eventually made contact with these people and they, they took a guy with them on their plane and they flew him in the plane. They gave him the nickname George because they probably couldn't pronounce his traditional tribal name. And they thought they'd made friends, so they decided to build a station very close to where this tribal group was. And ten warriors came and slaughtered all of them. Six years before that moment, on January 8th, 1956, six years before that, Jim Elliott, as he's reflecting on the scriptures, writes something in his journal, and he writes this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, his life, to gain what he cannot lose lose. May that be true of us, church. May that be true of your life. That is my prayer for you today. We're going to respond to this Jesus now. We're going to worship Him. We're going to make much of Him. In fact, we're going to declare this morning that He is our all, that we've decided to follow Him. We're going to worship and respond in the Lord's Supper down the front here to my right and left are two stations with bread and grape juice. And we invite you to come and to dip the bread into the grape juice and eat it, remembering that in Jesus' loss, there is gain for you. And if you need prayer this morning, for whatever reason, then we would love to pray for you. There will be a team of people up the back near the bar who would love to pray for you this morning. You don't need to pray. You don't need to say anything. They will pray for you. And if you would like to meet and know Jesus this morning, then head there. We would love to introduce you to him. But I'm going to invite the band up now. We're going to pray. We're going to respond in worship. So let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have met us and provided for us our deepest longings, our deepest yearnings in Christ. We thank you that we can be found in Him. Thank you, God, that you have turned what is our greatest obstacle to joy and pleasure. You have turned death into gain. And this morning we rejoice in that, Lord. Father, I pray that it will be true for every single person in this room that we may be able to echo after Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. Please, God, make that true of us. Not a pretense. Not a bumper sticker. Not something on a coffee cup. 
but a deep, deep conviction of our hearts. Something that is practically lived out. We pray, please make this true in Jesus' name. Those who agreed said, Amen.